Hey everyone, I'm Sally Abed, and this is Groundwork, a podcast about Palestinians and Israelis refusing to accept the status quo and working to change it. Groundwork is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. Welcome back to our one-on-one interview series, Ground Report, where I sit down with activists to have a conversation about who they are, what motivates them, and what kind of future they imagine for the region. If you're looking for our regular programming, where we do a more in-depth narrative story and often go into the field with the activists, I invite you to check them out in our feed. My guest today is Yara Amairi. She's a Palestinian activist from the south of Hebron in the West Bank. She has worked with Women Wage Peace, New Story Leadership, and now works as the Palestinian co-director of Land for All. In the interview, we start out talking about how she got into activism. And then, as you'll hear, things got really emotional. Peacebuilding and anti-occupation work is hard for everyone, but uniquely challenging for Palestinians. It requires immense amounts of hope and optimism. It's why we ask all our guests on Ground Report about the future that they imagine for this region. What does it look like? How does it feel? That vision, being able to see it clearly, is so important for activists facing oppression, exclusion, and occupation. But the work of imagination and the work of sustaining hope can be so exhausting, it hurts. And we thought it's important for you to see that too. I'm Sally Abid with my guest Yara Amairi, and this is Ground Report. Marhaba, Yara. Marhaba, Sally. Yalla. Okay, we're in Bejala. And um, Yara, let's start telling us um, a little bit about yourself. How would you introduce yourself to the world and to the listeners of Ground Report? I would start with what I consider the most precious part of my identity to myself is a Palestinian young woman. I was born and raised in Hebron. I grew up and lived my whole life there until I got accepted into an exchange program and got a scholarship to study in the U.S. for a year in high school. That was the first time that I realized that there is something beyond this walled-off box that I live in and that in other places of the world it's not normal to have checkpoints almost everywhere you go and it's not normal to have army watchtowers and walls and attacks and night raids at your homes. Most throughout the entire year. Give me maybe like a story about one thing that we're like, huh, mm. this is how it's supposed to be. I was placed with an amazing family in Arizona, mm. <laughs> um, in a small town near Sedona. And my host family decided that, you know, I need to see a bit more of the US than just Arizona. And we went on a road trip to California. We got all of us in a car and we drove to California and the entire time I had my uh, little embroidered Jerusalem pouch around my neck with my passport, my ID, uh, my scholarship papers, my student ID and everything I needed in case we were stopped at the checkpoint. 
and you know these toll roads where you have to like insert um, your card and get a pass and then you pay I thought that these were the checkpoints and I was like oh well their checkpoints look kind of nice with yellow paint and stuff and so I was about to get out of the car at the toll road and I asked my my host parents where are the soldiers do we have to scan our IDs here or you know what, what's what's the deal and then my host parents just were shocked for a minute and then they looked at me and like is that what you're holding your passport the entire time honey this is not palestine and we don't have checkpoints here and that was the moment i realized that a i needed to show everyone who was my age back at home that there is a possibility of a different life b do everything that I can to change reality where I came from. And uh, how did you start doing that? I started my first um, activism gig, as we say, uh, with Women Wage Peace. Um, I gave a speech with an Israeli girl. What was her name? Noah from Netanya, who is now one of my closest friends, who was the first Israeli person that I meet who's not a soldier, who's not carrying a weapon, who's not a settler, and who was just willing to talk to me like an equal, normal human being without a conflict or an M16 or a checkpoint. And so before we met, because we couldn't for checkpoint reasons, we worked on the speech together on a Google document and we gave it in front of thousands of people for the first time. And after that, it wasn't like a momentary aha change, but it was a first step, let's say, into separating in my mind between the occupation system of Israel and the people who do not wish to take part in that system in Israel. And that's a bit difficult because every single Israeli has to go to the army. So even if I try my best to perceive them as human beings, as equal, as civilians, as people who are like me, Eventually, they're going to be the soldiers holding a gun at the checkpoint and pointing that gun at me or my loved ones. And that's a really hard part to reconcile with. But we shouldn't judge an entire nation based on a system that they, they go through and that we can do our best to wake them up or shake them up in a bit to see things differently. Our attempted relationship with them should not be strictly into defense mode and attack mode and you're the enemy mode. But we should rather try to understand and then proceed forward which I admit is something that is getting a lot harder to do. I, I see you struggling. Um, you know, we are both here um, 
Uh, there is uh, an aggression, an attack on Jenin right now. Uh, there are seven Palestinians killed so far. Um, when we both met here, we were like, oh, like shit, yeah. <laughs> this is a difficult day. Um, and I see you struggling. Uh, it's unnatural uh, for the oppressed to continuously try and humanize uh, their oppressor, especially you, uh, you know, coming from, um, for me, they are colleagues and they are peers in university and they're, you know, even friends and, and neighbors. Um, it's different. It's easier for me to put faces. I have many, many, many faces. Um, you don't. You have the faces of, of only the people that are willing to give you a hand. Mm-hmm. And even those, um, they do pose certain challenges um, and they sometimes uh, have blind spots even though they're willing to not to to you know they want to remove those blind spots they do want to be enlightened they do want to learn more but they have those blind spots and it's almost unnatural for us to give them that grace um and I just wanted to validate because I see you struggling talking about this. Um, and I think it's very hard. I also know that you lost uh, friends uh, recently in the last year, right? Um, so I just want to validate that. And I want people to also know what you're going through, uh, not just personally, but collectively. So how, how do you navigate this? How do you navigate your personal loss and your personal traumas and 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 experiences with the collective trauma and experience in Hebron yeah Khalil is like <laughs> I mean yep. it is the epicenter of, of apartheid uh, it's it's really you go there if you want to see apartheid that's where you see it and I want do you want to tell me a little bit about how you navigate that and what are the difficulties but also what are the points that give you strength uh, to do that um, so first Thank you so much for that. <laughs> it's a relief to hear that you get it and you see the struggle here. And I think I'm on sort of my last string with this. I've been um, trying and doing work on the ground for the past eight years. And it hasn't been without a cost. Um, but I'm starting to feel that it's not enough and it's true it's not enough but it's also um not going anywhere you know we're sitting here and we're talking and in janine there are people dying and they're bombing homes and they're bulldozing roads so every single time i try to maintain that hope and maintain that energy that I had when I was 16 and thought that, oh, we could make peace. Um, It's going away day by day. And with the kinds of actions that are being committed by the Israeli government and the aggression by the Israeli army right now, it's taking a bigger toll on, on that and on my desire and motivation and hope, but not just mine, but not to speak for my generation, but the majority of my generation as well. And so for a long time, the way I tried to navigate this was by convincing myself that I am doing what I can the best way I know how 
to make an impact and to create change and to improve um, our odds at resisting the occupation in a way that does not get us killed. That's what I was telling myself every time. And that I wanted to give a face to the other, to the Israeli, because maybe if they see the face that I saw, they would not be willing to carry a gun and stand at the checkpoint. And that, you know, happened in Noah's case. Not to share her story, but a part of the reason why Noah refused to serve in the army was because of our friendship and that gave me a lot of hope and a lot of motivation but one person is not enough and two people are not enough if we're talking about an entire system about millions of people who are partaking in that system so to answer your question I don't have an answer at the moment I don't know how I'm going to navigate this or if I am willing to navigate it at all Um, All I know is that the Palestinian spirit and my spirit will not be broken. No matter what happens, we will always continue to find ways to resist the occupation and to fight for our human rights and for our freedom. But what I'm afraid of is that we begin to respond with the same language that's being spoken to us most of the time which is violence, and that is scary, but every day I feel that it's more imminent than before. It's more likely to happen than before because of the actions of these really current government, but the governments before it as well, and the inhumanity of the conflict even though I don't really feel like calling it a conflict right now. It's more of a oppression, occupation. Let's talk about... Uh, thank you, first of all. Um, we're both like tearing up, looking at each other and tearing <laughs> up. We're very emotional. Um, I want to talk about what you think is your role in Palestinian society and Palestinian youth uh, in the West Bank. Um, you did talk about, you know, one of your goals was for people to know that it can be different. Um, you know, we call it uh, political imagination. Not everyone has the opportunity to go to the U.S. and, and realize that there are no checkpoints. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do you think, what is the kind of work that you're doing right now that would be able to promote that kind of political imagination and therefore activate uh, people and give them hope? Honestly, I... I don't know. It's okay if not. I Years ago, right before and after the Oslo agreements, people were so willing to talk about peace and moving forward, and yay, Palestinians are going to have a state, and yay, Israelis are going to have a state, and we're going to have peace, and we're going to go everywhere, um, and the army will pull out, and, and all of that um, stuff that ended up not happening, but they had that uh, taste of... Uh, what if, and ooh, it's possible, and it's right around the corner. My generation does not and did not have that. And for the past couple of years, 
the situation on the ground has been steadily becoming worse and worse, especially for young people. And if you ask today anyone about the meaning of the word peace to them in terms of Israel-Palestine, it would be laughable. Peace is too far from Palestinians right now, even from our imagination, because how can you talk about peace when people are being killed every day and homes are being raided and and so on and so forth. Settlements being expanded. And And settlers burning entire villages to the ground. It's, you know, we don't have the most basic of human rights. We don't have safety or security or freedom of movement. We don't even have equal and free access to water and electricity the way people on the other side or even in the settlement inside of Palestine are having. And we're expected to talk about peace and how can we live in harmony with the other. What I try to talk about and the language that I speak is the language of human rights, our rights to be equals and to be treated equally as human beings in Palestine. our right to self-determination, our right to choose what kind of future we want to have, whether we want a Palestinian state or we don't want a Palestinian state. We want the right for the refugees in refugee camps in Palestine and all around the world to have the right to choose whether they want to come back or stay, whether they want to have a life here or not. This is what's important for us. We want the people not to go to prison for saying their opinions out loud without trial. We don't want children to be taken to military courts for throwing a stone at a soldier who is raiding their home at 3 a.m. We want our children to be protected. My approach to it is meet Palestinians where they are. Give them the tools and the skills should they accept to resist with strategy, to be politically savvy. Right now, strategically and militarily speaking, we're losing this battle and we will continue to lose unless we find a different way. Raising our voices, getting our life together, politically speaking, on the Palestinian side, getting reflective, decent, and eloquent Palestinian leadership to represent us around the world and to meet our needs as Palestinians. When the time has come where we are at that crossroad of given the the right for self-determination, what would you do and um, five, ten years from now, I don't know when, let's, let's be optimistic. <laughs> and how would you imagine Palestinian society in the West Bank, in Gaza? How do you imagine it? I don't know if we're going to survive to see tomorrow, but I shall do my best to um, see to the next five, ten years. Um, and I would hope with all my heart that we have eloquent leaders who are respected amongst Palestinian communities and who are in constant contact with the Palestinian people 
to hear from them what they need, what they have, what they don't have, and what they want, what their choice is. Not practice a different kind of oppression on them because they don't like what they have to say. A 14-year-old's dream, biggest dream, will not be getting a permit to go see the sea because they can go there every weekend now. Their biggest dream will be to have their own startup company in high tech or whatever. They can dream bigger because all these barriers and all these ceilings and all these crushing military barricades will be removed from their way. I mean, we will live and dare to dream. We'll be alive to see that day as well, you know, why not? I think so. I hope Maybe so. we're going to be old, but... <laughs> I hope so. I hope so, you know, too. Old or young, but we'll see it. We need your help. If you found what you just heard meaningful, if you think this kind of reporting is important, then please take a few seconds right now and rate us and give us a review on whatever platform you're using to listen. It will go a long way to help us get the word out. We will be back with our regular program in two weeks, so please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Groundwork is created and produced by Dina Kraft and Yoshi Fields. The Ground Report is reported by me, Sally Abed, with content and audio editing by Yoshi. Yoshi also scored the piece. Additional content editing by Elisheva Goldberg and Nick Acosta. Art and design by Nick Acosta. The show is a joint production of New Israel Fund and the Alliance for Middle East Peace. New Israel Fund is the premier funder and organizer of progressive Israeli civil society, with over $300 million from tens of thousands of people to hundreds of organizations working for change on the ground for over 40 years. The Alliance for Middle East Peace is the largest and fastest growing network of Palestinian and Israeli peace builders. You can learn more about them in their website in nif.org and almap.org. And you can learn more about our show at their websites or at groundworkpodcast.com. Our theme music is by System Ali, a multilingual binational hip-hop group whose cultural activity is deeply rooted in the communities where they work. Additional music comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Until next time, shukran al-mutaba'a.